Oh, oh, hey, that's different. That's a brand new intro for the Bloom Living Podcast. Hey, I'm your host, Thomas DeShooter. Welcome to today's show. And yeah, it's different. Why? Because things are different. Things are decidedly different out there. And with that in mind, I thought it was important also to bring somebody on the show who has a different view than what the mass media is saying about all that's going on in the world. Here's what I believe. I believe that what we need to do is lift up rocks and have a look under them. And if necessary, we hold the rock and we look at it from all sides and then we make decisions that work for us, that we can fall in line with, that feed who we are as beings. I don't believe in following whoever is just yelling the loudest. And so that's why I've invited Tom onto our show. Tom had a couple of YouTube videos that went viral. And it's because he has a different view. So as we get set to launch into this week's show, I will invite you to just buckle up. Buckle up your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye bye <laughs> Oh yeah, Matrix Drop. I've wanted to do that for a long time. Tom Barnett is the author of The Common Sense Guide to Food. He has spent several years as a holistic health practitioner working with people to find a core balance in their lives from which to create a foundation for health. More recently, he felt a calling for more creative pursuits and is now working in film and photography. Please welcome to the show from Down Under from Australia, Tom Barnett. And we were just talking a little bit off air. You're in Australia. You're like a full, let's tomorrow morning for you. I'm still in Friday. I was asking if you could give me the lotto numbers or something to help me out, but I don't think that'll work, right? <laughs> yeah, it is a spin out, but yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> um, so, hey, I reached out to you because you had a couple of uh, videos that went a little bit viral and um, and, you know, I'd love to take, I'd just love to, to dig in a little bit as to, you know, where you're coming from, I guess, you know, where, what's stacked up in your life to get you where you are on this conversation. And so maybe before we, we, dry, we dive into the videos, why don't, you, why don't you just lay the land for us just on how you got to the ideas that you, that you posted in those videos? Yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, I'll try to give you the short version of that one. Okay. I, um, from... Well, look, from when I was a kid, really young, I could always see that there was something not quite right about what I was being told and the way I felt that I was being indoctrinated. So that was my parents, my teachers at school. Um, you know, a lot of things happened in my early life that made me really question the validity of not only what I was being told, but who was telling it to me. So one of the things that I developed early on was the ability to... to see what part of a person was communicating with me. You were just mentioning before we got cut off that, uh, you know, since you were a, a kid early on, you could just see which part of a person was communicating with you. Yeah, that's right. It really was just down to the fact that I could feel in my you know, very being that there was something not quite right with what I was being told and what the reality seemed to be. So while I couldn't explain it at that age, it did lead me to pursue a lot of my own uh, educational interests. So I started from a younger age, around 13, 14, reading psychological papers so that I could try to get a, uh, an idea of you know, human behavior and how and why people were doing what they were doing. So uh, 
going a few years down the track, uh, after I'd started college, I actually had become quite ill in my early 20s. And at that stage, I was still, you know, I'd gone through my science and uh, medical textbooks. I'd gone through a lot of the mainstream uh, educational, I guess, processes, uh, even though I was already on that way of trying to think for myself and, and finding my own resources in other areas of life. I was still quite convinced that the science and the medical, um, what do you call it? That just that system was, you know, the way things were. So I was sure that I was uh, getting viruses from other, you know, from other people or from however you were told that we were getting them. I had uh, recurrent fungal and parasitic, um, wouldn't call them infections, but definitely uh, actions going on in the body. And I, I had essentially chronic fatigue. And I actually had gone to a German doctor and naturopath at the time. And he said chronic fatigue is chronic toxicity. But it didn't really sink in at the time. So, um, you know, it made sense, but I, it just didn't really sink in completely at the time. So it took me a number of years. And by going to many medical specialists that costs, you know, $500 an hour or more, uh, which led me to living on the street for a number of years as well. That's another story. But, uh, you know, even natural healers and things as well, I, I just wasn't getting better, even though I was following whatever they said to the T, you know, I wasn't just ignoring their advice. So, after enough of that, I just got to the stage where I thought, well, none of these blood tests and hospital visits that I'm having have actually resulted in anything. None of the doctors have told me anything of value. They all say the same thing. So it did lead me to pursue out of necessity um, different ways of thinking. I, I knew that there was something wrong. like It was obvious, but nobody was really helping me to get there. So that led me to finding the works of people like Rudolf Steiner, who when I first became interested in Paul Cech's teachings, if you, I can explain who Paul Cech is if you're not familiar with him. Uh, that led me to Rudolf Steiner's work. Uh, that led me to um, Antoine Béchamp's work, who was the contemporary of Louis Pasteur, who, you know, obviously he created that whole germ theory model. And, uh, and quite a number of other researchers and microbiologists and doctors who were saying the same thing, which was that, uh, microbes are not the cause of ill health in humans. It is only a weak and toxic internal environment that can become a home for microbes. And therefore, that's not that they're an invader, have a job to do. So that was a really interesting turning point in the way that I viewed the body. Uh, it allowed me to see that germs actually are our immune system. So this modern way of trying to sterilize anything is actually going against nature's way which is that these microbes are our defenses. They are our immune systems. They keep us healthy and they are our health. So that was the real turning point. And that was more than 10 years ago now. So, um, you know, the only reason I made those videos, which I'm sure we'll get to, was that I had a lot of friends who were just seemed to be freaking out about things, didn't want me coming over to the house to play music anymore. And I was thinking, wow, this is really getting a bit out of hand. So I made some videos that were done in a comedic way so that I could make my friends laugh a bit and not take it as seriously as trying to do like a lecture style, um, you know, format. So yeah, that, that's essentially a, the short version, I guess, of how I got led to the findings that I had and the research that I did. Wow. Thank you. And, and Rudolf Steiner, I'm familiar with, he's obviously the, the uh, Waldorf education is what he's responsible for, among other things, of course, but mm -hmm. um, Waldorf education. I'm not sure who Paul Cech is. Uh, so Paul is a holistic health practitioner. He's 
widely regarded as probably the best in the world when it comes to dealing with all sorts of uh, just everything to do with the physical body. Uh, also, you know, the psychological factor and how that relates to the physical body and then the spiritual aspect of who we are, what we're doing here, how that plays out through our thoughts and emotions and how that affects our physicality and the way that we interact into the world. So um, he's a, he's quite well known. I recommend actually looking him up in some of his resources. He has a book called how to eat, how to eat, move and be healthy. And when people ever ask me, you know, have you got any advice of just how to you know, get balanced or find the basic, the very basic building blocks of creating health in the world. I always recommend Paul's book. I haven't found one better than that as far as being able to just get the basics right and um, to be harmonious with yourself. Right. Thank you. So getting back to the, the, uh, the virus thing. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I know that uh, where I have my own, you know, sort of what I've, I guess, gathered as information and um, <clears throat> you know, I struggle a little bit cause I'm not a scientist. I haven't read all the books around medical uh, or science in that I know what I feel and I know intuitively what goes on for me. So where, where I get stopped is on something like the measles or something like the chicken pox, which mm -hmm. is, you know, called a virus. And if I'm, you know, if I'm a healthy person who's never had them and I go hang out with a bunch of people who has, who have the chicken pox, I'm going to get them. So like, mm -hmm. how does, how does that work? Is that something you can sort of, you have a theory on? Yeah, sure. Well, the best, see what I did as well is rather than going, um, so I always found that trying to get down into the finest details of things always for me anyway, I'm not saying for everybody, but for me it was always a dead end. So once you get down into, you know, a lipid layer and then a protein and an RNA sequence and all that, it's like, what's beyond that? It kind of doesn't explain the nature of something to be able to break it down into its smallest bit parts because it own, everything only operates as the whole. They don't operate as bit parts. So that kind of led me going into more a questioning way of educating myself. So the questions that I would ask is if, if a family, for example, hosts a measles party, which, you know, a lot of people used to do, does every kid in that room get measles? Because there's a lot of times when people would go home disappointed because their kids didn't get measles from a measles party. Then you have to ask another question such as what age group gets affected? You know, the parents may not have had measles in their life. So if it's not an immunity thing, why aren't they getting measles at a measles party? Why is it only a certain age group and so on and so forth? So there's a lot of different questions that you can start to ask to start to remove that whole, um, you know, that, that whole concept where people observe one thing, two people went to a party and then two people had measles, therefore it's contagious. Whereas that's kind of jumping to conclusions because it's not looking at other surrounding circumstances and what it could have been. Uh, then you have to ask other questions such as uh, if somebody which is usually a childhood um, so-called illness has measles, do they not have a developmental spurt in the months following? So then most of the time, you know, if you look at that, people do. So then you have to start asking, well, what really is measles? Is it even a virus? And what is going on within the body for there to be a developmental spurt? Because why would a pathogen lead to that? So there's a lot of different questions that for me started coming up when I'm looking at these. So to answer your question more directly, I guess, uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the fact that they are a virus is a theory. It's never really been um, shown. There's a few 
they're not on my top of my head at the moment, but uh, once I get off air, I can uh, send you so you can have them as resources for your uh, listeners. Some of the papers that uh, people have written that obviously got shunned by the medical community, <laughs> but that showed that it was more of a theory that a lot of these so-called viruses that we deal with are even a virus. So, but just to get a little deeper into that, for example, uh, let's say it's measles again or chickenpox. It's really only a thought that if you go into a room with people or you go and visit somebody who has it, that you will have it because there are plenty of cases where, you know, even simple cases of the flu, not everybody gets the flu. If it was super contagious like that, everybody in the world would have the flu at one, like influenza at any given time, but that's clearly not the case. So then you have to start asking further questions like why do some people get it and others not? So then those questions can lead you to kind of finding out what is the nature of what's going on as opposed to just thinking, well, I'm told that it's a virus and that a virus is contagious and then just going down that model without ever questioning whether that's, that's valid in the first place. So our cells are always in constant communication with each other. Um, most people don't have to be told that because if you sit in the room with somebody else, it's different. it feels different from when you sit in a room by yourself. You can also feel if somebody has a brooding and um, perhaps predatory uh, maybe mindset going on because you can feel that. You can feel if somebody is nice and joyous to be around. And we can feel that because our individual cells are vibrating in relation to the cells of another body. So even though they are what feels like separate to us, and most of quantum physics shows that they're not actually separate, so the cells within two people's bodies, although being appeared to be separate, will resonate in response to one another. So if you go from the premise that a virus is created from within a cell as a response to stimulus, usually either the toxicity of the internal environment or environmental cues from the external environment, whether that be season, temperature or something else in the environment that our bodies are communicating with. And therefore, if somebody else or a few people in a room are going through some kind of viral detoxification or bacterial or what have you, then it kind of led me and other researchers, obviously that I read, to the idea that what if our cells are communicating with them and they're getting the signal that it is now time to undergo a cleaning of the liver, the lungs, um, the brain, something like that. The same way that a bunch of animals in the same field know that it's now time to uh, you know, run in that direction or the same time for bears in certain parts of the world to go into hibernation or to come out of hibernation or for seeds at a certain time. And this is what Rudolf Steiner showed a lot with his um, biodynamic principles. So, you know, the seeds have an intelligence. They recognize from the environment that it is time to germinate at a specific time. So that's just going down into the coding principles that, uh, that we have within the very building blocks of the cells and the intelligence that kind of runs through all of life. And that's really, I think that's the way I sum up how I came to my understanding of things. Beyond that, it was actually trying to move beyond that, this whole mental construct. So it's very easy, I think, to be able to read books and to mentally process something and then just think that you know it. Like anybody can read. You don't have to be an intelligent person to read a book, memorize it, and then spit it out and make it sound convincing. Like to me, that's not a difficult thing to do and it can make you sound like an expert on anything. But what I had to do was I really had to test it for myself because it wasn't good enough that 
I had these mental constructs because they conflicted firstly with what I had learned previously. So I then had to take this massive leap of faith, which was uh, trying to, uh, for want of a better word, infect myself with, uh, by being in contact and by having uh, fluid contact with people with supposedly infectious conditions. So, um, you know, this is just what led me through the practical experience of trying to see if I could get certain, you know, viruses, which they were being called viruses from other people. And at no stage could I actually infect myself with that specific one that, you know, I was exposed to. And so, that kind of, that was something that really led me to, you know, really move into deeper ways of thinking about just that aspect alone. And, um, and to, I guess where I've come to today, bearing in mind, I never say, although I kind of presented that first video in a certain way, <laughs> that was a video that was going to my friends. So I would have, wouldn't have phrased things so matter of factly if I hadn't known it was going to the whole world. And I, I think I made a, the point in my second video that no one should believe what they hear from a guy on YouTube or on a podcast or anything like that, because it is no different listening to somebody else's point of view than listening to the, the media, the medical, the educational establishment points of view, because if you're not using your own mind, either way, it's a little dangerous in my opinion. So I think it's always good to take, you know, new perspectives in, but it's very important. I feel to, uh, to try to correlate that with your own experiences in life. And if you are interested in trying to learn things for yourself, you know, really looking for evidence to the contrary for whatever you believe. So only then I think can you uh, arrive at a very balanced point of view and to be more comfortable in your own sense of what is, you know, right and not right in the world. Wow. Thanks. Except for this show, because this show is the truth, right? So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so whatever he said about listening this is this is the one place you can come to and get actual facts yeah. people so let's be clear That's right. <laughs> so i, I want to go back uh, tom so yeah. you actually attempted to at various times in your life to infect yourself mm -hmm. with things as a test yeah so uh the one thing i didn't do which somebody asked me on a podcast the other day was did i inject myself with anything and answer is no <laughs> Because from the research I'd done, I had figured from research that that was one of the only ways you could actually, um, you know, infect yourself with something. So I tried mucus, saliva, and sexual contact with people that had um, active viral symptoms and who, you know, you would think are supposedly contagious. So uh, there's... I mean, I think getting into the very details of that is probably too much for one um, podcast. There's, like I say, I'll give some references that you can give to your uh, your listeners who, if they want to follow up other people's research, because it can take you know hours and hours to go through that stuff. But in my experience, um, it, I was unable to contract um, any kind of viral activity in myself. So first of all, I should say that that is not a conclusive test because one man experimenting on things does not represent a standardized population or any kind of a valid test. However, it does back up all of the uh, evidence from the research that I had spent a long time going through. So um, an, an example I gave to a couple other people recently is that at the uh, jujitsu club that I'm part of, there were two guys recently who had, uh, you know, the clubs aren't open at the moment. This is going back a few weeks, but there were two guys who had, been having recurring viral um, symptoms. 
uh, and actually, you know, active viruses. And one of the people that contacted one of the guys at the gym was a microbiologist who was from the UK. And they said, hey, I saw your friend's video. Um, he's really right about most of it, but he's wrong about the fact that you can actually get a virus from saliva and mucus. So instead of you know, trying to give evidence to the contrary, I asked my friend, I said, well, look, you and this other guy have both had recurring viruses over the last couple of months. You've both been in and out of the club. Uh, you, know, you haven't been able to train sometimes. Sometimes you have come in and trained, but you've been really lethargic because you've got a virus going on. And I said, do you not think that have you ever seen jujitsu by the way like wrestling yeah yep so if there anyone that hasn't seen it you're in very close contact with each other so even if you're standing say two feet away from somebody and you're having a conversation face to face you're essentially swapping spit there is you know you have to understand how much of each other's fluids we swap on a daily basis so when you're literally uh millimeters from each other's face you have sweat saliva and mucus going into each other's mouths, um, the very thin membranes in the eyes, like that's all getting a lot of contact together. And at no stage did anybody else in the gym get a virus. So again, that's not a conclusive test by any means. But when I asked my friend those questions, he kind of thought, well, actually, yeah, we are in very close contact. We're definitely swapping spit, mucus and sweat. So yeah, why didn't anybody get the viruses that I was carrying and this other guy? So that's two people that were actively carrying viruses that couldn't infect anybody else in the gym. So, you know, again, it's not about making a conclusive statement from that. It's about asking questions. And in this case, that was enough for the guy to, start to think, well, yeah, well, can you actually get it from saliva and mucus? So uh, yeah, does that answer your question, or do you want me to explain yeah. that a little? Bit? No, no, because I've actually I've actually heard reports going back to the influenza, the Spanish influenza, where they actually tried this with a hundred people in, uh, I think Massachusetts. They they tried to infect people and they couldn't. So yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. I want to go back to something you said, which I found was uh, which I found interesting was the idea. That uh, and and this I I listened to uh, an interview with a gentleman by the name of D Dr. Andrew Kaufman, yeah. And he was talking about exosomes, which you know I won't try to butcher what those are, but there was the idea of something he said, which was that even in just close proximity, if somebody is going through, uh, and I, I love what you said. You said that um, it, it's a uh, like a thinner, not a paint, like a paint, th paint thinner. What did you refer to it as? A uh, solvent. A solvent. Thank you. It's yeah. like there's a solvent going through your system that is doing a cleanse, right? Mm -hmm. And that if you're in the vicinity of that, being the species that we are, I might then get a signal that, whoa, hey, I better, there's something new here I've got to deal with. It's time to go into this state. Yeah. That's definitely, yeah, you can look, you can certainly look at it that way. It's, uh, uh, yeah, look, this, this is the thing that's just the, the problem and the thing that frustrated me with college. You know, when I, I net, oh, by the way, a few people have asked what my qualifications are in science and everything. I don't have qualifications because within two and a, I think three years of being in college, I just had enough. There was, I was asking questions that the professors couldn't answer. And in a lot of cases, they would get visually irritated at me asking certain questions and it was just I was thinking you know what's wrong with this science is supposed to be about asking questions you know how does this work 
Um, can we find evidence to the contrary? But what if this, but what if that? And finding all these other ways that could surround a certain concept and that annoyed the people that were teaching it. So I, I kind of could never get the education that I wanted from that system. Uh, so uh, the only reason I brought that up is that there is so much more to the nature of life that we're just not taught. Uh, centuries ago, we were. We, uh, you know, the Greek educational systems, you had the pathos, the logos, and the various other, can't remember them all off the top of my head, but there's just this, you know, even a hundred years ago, people would leave school being able to speak several languages, play several instruments, could do the arithmetic of, you know, that just doesn't exist nowadays. Everything's been dumbed down so much since the introduction of the, you know, the major medical uh, establishments, the agricultural and the industrialization uh, of society. Education has just plummeted since then. And when we don't have the same critical thinking is not taught, I guess is the point that used to be taught hundreds of years ago. It was part of your education. These days it's an indoctrination. It's learning to essentially repeat what you've been taught in a book. And you know, you know, that that's all, I barely went to university. I spent most of my time surfing, but I just happened to have enough of an intellect where I can, you know, read a book, the textbook, and I can memorize that enough to get a good mark on a test. And then, you know, I never had to go to the, the college in a lot of cases. So it's this whole lack of critical thinking that I think leads to the way that we're not able to start asking these questions. So when you said, you know, can you have a response to somebody else in the environment? You absolutely can because you only have to observe nature to be able to see this. It's all around us all of the time. Um, there, there are so many ways that you can start uh, educating or proving these things to yourself just by observing nature. Um, and that is how all native uh, peoples learned what they learned. They spent hours and hours and years and years observing nature and then passing that teaching on to the ones that came after them. That's not taught to us anymore. So um, that to me is one of the most important parts of uh, <laughs> important things to come to grips with because it explains why we are where we are today. This whole um, colonial mind that's really taken over the world and has kind of killed off the native teachings that they always lived in harmony with the earth. They, they thought of the earth as a gift and something that they were meant to take care of. And they didn't have these, you know, massive pandemics that went through of a supposed virus that was taking, taking people out. This is something that we have experienced and created within our time. Um, I hope they didn't go too far off your question. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I think it's, I think, you know, I, I'm looking at the world from where I am and, uh, and what you're saying to me in a lot of cases makes sense. And then that other part of me that is part of the industrial education model goes, but wait a second, how could, you know, these five people over here be on one camp and all of these other people over here are on this other camp? Like who, mm -hmm. who, who's the right camp to be in? And, and so I've, what, what I also heard from you that I find interesting is, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about this is, you you sort of alluded to the body as a system not yep. as not as pieces of things that are operating but as an entire system that requires everything to be operating together yeah absolutely so this is something that um the i mean when i was treating people as a health practitioner no matter what the more i did it the more i could see that no matter what somebody came to me with whether it was a physical injury or an illness they'd carried for some time, 
whether it was a stress-related issue, you know, mental, emotional issue, uh, whether it was, you know, depression or any number of things, the more I looked at people, the more I could see that everything stemmed from being out of balance. So uh, when I say out of balance, I there's more than one, there's more than four bodies, but just to simplify things, um, I wrote in my, uh, the book that I've been, I put up is the, uh, the four bodies we're primarily made of. The first being the, the physical, second being the, uh, the mental, third being the emotional, and uh, the fourth being the spiritual. And if there is disharmony between these bodies, it will manifest in the physical or in the mental or in the emotional, depending on what the, the uh, issue is, as an ailment as you know a tumor or uh, a behavior that led to an injury like it's never just the what it looks like on the surface the surface oh i broke my leg it was an accident and this but what were the what were the thoughts to lead to the actions that led to that injury or you know whatever there's too many examples i could give but you know for example there are people who have tumors and then they have a tumor cut out and then eight months later they've got another tumor so why would a tumor regrow you know, so people generally don't ask the questions. Why? Like, why is that? How did that happen? Why did it happen again? Why did, and then, so then asking the questions, how do they form? What is a tumor? And really going deeper into those questions, which most people don't do. And that's what the current educational uh, model does not do. It doesn't look, it goes, a cow has four stomachs and four legs. Therefore I know everything about a cow, but realistically that's not telling you anything about a cow. It's not, there's no critical and creative thinking there that's allowing you to really understand the essence of what a cow is or what my injury is. What is my condition? Who am I? What, you know, how did, how did these things come about? So when there is disharmony or imbalance amongst any of those four bodies, you are going to see a representation of that in the way they, they feel, um, the, the, maybe the internal pain they're experiencing or the physical pain that they're experiencing. And that is, you know, so prevalent in the world today. Um, yeah. How does that, do you want me to explain anything further with that? Uh, no, that's great. So in, in terms then, let's go, let's go back into some of the, the stuff we talked to, you talked about in the video, the toxicity. And, uh, you know, I've heard people refer to this as dirty air, dirty water, and dirty food. And yep. that, that is just like, that is where we're getting all of this stuff coming from. And, and maybe you could just speak a little bit to that and what your thoughts are on that. Well, uh, look, the, the air, it's no, um, you only have to look at the air in some parts of the world. I mean, I'm really lucky here in the part of the world I live in, the air is very clear. You know, I know that just from people that I know, they say the air in, say, Los Angeles is very thick and dirty. The air in Mumbai is very thick and dirty. The air in other parts of the world is visually not good and then hard to breathe and all that kind of stuff. So that's only part of it. That's the industrialized kind of smog. There's plenty of evidence to show that the air is sprayed with various chemicals for various, what are supposedly humanitarian reasons, such as, you know, improving weather patterns or, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to block out ultraviolet light or whatever the, the excuses are. But there is no um, denying that things like aluminiums and um, various other fine metals are sprayed in the atmosphere. So all that obviously ends up in the waterways. Not only that, but the runoff from industrial and agricultural um, chemicals where all the pesticides that are used, the herbicides, rodenticides, and everything else that is used in these mass uh, farming methods 
end up in the water. It can't not end up in the water. Uh, also, as far as I'm aware, the amount of water on the planet is finite. So the water we drink today is the same water that the dinosaurs drank. You know, it's been evaporated, it's been frozen, it's been, you know, it's, it's changed, it's gone through countless living things, but at the end of the day, it's the same water. So it's kind of, when you start even looking into water by itself, it becomes very fascinating. It starts to really paint a picture of the water that's outside of you. You know, our cells are mostly water. So, you know, how is that communicating with it, uh, amongst itself? as a, you know, just looking into water. Then you got all the food. And as I mentioned before, all the poisons that are put in, the depletion of the soil, we're not getting as many nutrients as we once did. And most people aren't even eating a natural diet anyway. So then you've got all the extra chemicals and metals and things that end up in the body from things like tinned and canned foods. Uh, you know, anything that's processed and being packaged, you don't really know what's going into that. It's always laced with something that is not a food. And the body can only handle so much of that. So this chronic, the amount of chronic low-grade inflammation and you know, uh, uh, other conditions that people are dealing with, like it's not normal to have headaches. It's not normal to feel lethargic. It's not normal to have aching joints or pain in the body. You should not, that is in no way normal, but that is what the majority of the population in Western countries have. That they're on, especially in the United States, they're on so many medications Every medication, bar none, is toxic to the body. There is no such thing as a non-toxic medication. So while they might be relieving some pain in some areas, you know, there's no one-way street. So that it's taking or it's coming at the expense of something else in the body. It's, it's either hardening, hardening a gland because it's, it's making the gland overproduce hormones. It's, um, you know, it's storing. This stuff has to go somewhere. So it shuttles it the body shuttles it to the safest places, which is generally fatty deposits. The brain is a very common place to send, especially heavy metals. And then you've got all the fatty deposits around your organs and glands. That's where most of this toxicity stores. But when it's, you know, your body's overloaded, it ends up in joints and people have all these, these problems. And this is just, as I said, it's not a normal state of being. So one of the problems is that people go, people make the statement, Oh, I've got flu shots for the last, you know, 30 years and I'm fine. But they, yeah, I say this regularly to people and this was from, uh, you know, learning from Paul check as well. The amount of people that I've ever met in my life who I would consider normal is probably five at most out of the, I don't know, tens or hundreds of thousands of people that I've met in various circumstances or observed, I would say I've met five that are normal. And by normal, I mean have a normal physical structure that has no abnormalities, uh, a normal amount of ability to use that body and normal amount of uh, digestive health, mental health, spiritual health. Uh, it's literally a handful of people. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. That's crazy. That's like, I don't mean crazy. Like you're crazy. I just mean, that's a, that's a crazy concept. And when, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, Tom, part of me in doing the show, I was like, I want to get into the bottom of what this guy's saying and, you know, be that, that uh, voice on the other side, trying to pressure you. But in a lot of ways for me, you just sound like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I have a question that's a maybe a little bit of outside what we've been talking about. I I'm assuming you are familiar with the Koch's postulate. With who, sorry? Koch's postulate. No, what's that one? So uh, it's K-O-C-H-S postulate. It's basically how, how they would prove a virus or how they would prove an infection. You know, you've got to be able to, 
take it from somebody, you've got to grow it in a Petri dish. It's got to be completely pure. Then you've got to be able to give it to somebody else and then they have the same result. And that's how you can, you know, I'm, I'm butchering it a little, but that's how you can prove something is actually uh, transferable or is an actual virus or a disease. I'm curious if you can just tell her, like, what, what do you think is going on here? If you can reframe that for people that haven't seen your videos, what do you think is happening in the world right now? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, first thing I'll do is cover the principle that you mentioned. So the, the first thing is that uh, that whole premise is about taking something out of one body, uh, incubating it in a Petri dish, and then injecting it into another body. And that's essentially what I said in the first video is that that's pretty much the only way you can get an infection. Like you can't get animal tissue, you can't get a swine flu or a whatever out of any other way because it, nothing is compatible genetically between species so that's the only way you could get say the swine flu what that was one of the last pandemics is by the injection so to to move on from that and explain a bit about the um the video uh the what i put forth in that video is that there are only certain ways that you can catch a virus and that is by injection which was the main way um and the other is just as a response to the same internal stimulus, which we kind of covered earlier, which is the communication between cells in relation to the environment. So you can have these natural detoxifications that go on and they can happen in cycles. So, you know, certain parts of the body, like the liver or the spinal column or whatever, might have a two-year uh, cycle or a seven-year cycle or a 15-year cycle where you will undergo a viral detoxification. It may happen in a lot of people at once. It doesn't mean that they caught it from each other. It just means that they're going through that at one time. But that's, that's a natural process. But even so, the natural process is generally in a response to unnatural stimulus, such as exposure to DDT or other you know, chemicals of the kind. Um, you know, a lot of eating a lot of tin foods, which sort of happened around that time. Funnily enough, that, that last polio thing happened around the 50s. And there's, there's, you know, that's a response to unnatural stimulus. Um, so when I made that video, I wanted to make it quite clear that if you are looking after yourself in certain ways, then you don't have to fear something that can really only be put in your body via a vaccine. So even trying to prove it by the method that you mentioned that therefore it's a uh, contagious uh, virus, you still had to have taken that out of a body and put it into another one via the blood. It doesn't, that, that hypothesis does not show that it's transferable by air, by touch, by surface or by spit or anything like that. It says it's transferable by an injection. And that, that kind of really sums up that whole first video that I made. And it was, I think the viruses though was not the main point of the video at all. The main, the main part of it, which is, I guess what you're asking me is what's really going on because if you really want to look into every pandemic we've had in the 1900s and 2000s, you can find plenty of evidence to show that they were fabricated or orchestrated or both. So even in the current one, you know, we hear about all these hospitals are overflowing and everything, but you're seeing a lot of evidence to the contrary from people who are just saying, hang on, this just doesn't feel right. I'm going to go and find out for myself and finding and filming that a lot of these hospitals are empty that major news broadcasts are using the same footage that they used in Italy and then saying that that's happening in New York. It's showing the same hospital. So why, if, 
if New York hospitals are filling up, why do they have to show footage from an Italian hospital? So there's a lot of things that don't add up for a lot of people. And to answer your question directly, what do I think is going on? I don't think anybody really has a definitive idea because unless you're in that upper echelon of the families that run the world, I don't think you're going to know. You can really only theorize. I think 100% there are going to be tighter regulations on what you can and can't do as far as traveling, um, receiving welfare or any government benefit. Um, unless you are willing to do what they say in order to have that, which will more than likely be a mandatory vaccine. First of all, a coronavirus vaccine. And second of all, moving into pretty much every vaccine becoming mandatory. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the rollout of 5G. I think they need to do that while people aren't watching, which is why they're trying to keep people in their houses. Um, and then funnily enough, everyone's in their house sucking up bandwidth and they're probably turning the signals down. And then people are saying, well, we need a stronger signal now. And then they'll say, well, hey, look, we've got 5G. The same as, um, I don't know if you're aware of Port Arthur in Australia. It was a shooting massacre that happened in the 90s, I think it was. Do you ever hear of Port Arthur? Uh, no, I don't think I have. No. Yeah, so, well, Tasmania is a tiny part of Australia. It's like an island. It's part of the mainland, but it's separate. Very small state. Um, very easy to not have to fall into the same part of the rest of the country. So Port Arthur was where this guy, his name was Martin Bryant, had supposedly gone in to a cafe and shot 15 people dead. It was one of Australia's only um, shooting massacres. The problem with that is that he got 15 headshots, which even a Navy SEAL sniper would probably struggle to do. He was by himself and every police officer, the nearest one was 500 kilometres out of town. So straight after that, it led to Australians handing in their guns. So they, there was, a, gun, there was a, um, a firearm buyback scheme after that. And it's, it's one of those things that you would, when you look at the events of what happened, it is very hard to put together the idea that this one guy could have pulled all this off by himself and that there wasn't something behind that. You know, there wasn't an agenda behind that. The same as the more you look into it, there's agendas behind pretty much everything that goes on. So I think 5G is a big part of this current agenda and getting things put in while people aren't watching and also getting it to the stage where, you know, if the, if the country had gone, hey, we want you all to hand in your guns, people would have said, no, I don't think so. Why would I do that? So, but if they make a shooting occur, and then they say, hey, look, this could happen to you in your town. Do you want that to happen? And then people say, hmm, maybe we should hand in our guns. So they make it in a way that it seems like it comes from the people's idea because they need to do that when they want to put something in effect that ordinarily people would say, no, thanks, I don't want that. Like tighter regulations after you know the 9-11 event, like after um, various shootings that happened, after any supposed terrorist event, I'm not saying that real ones don't happen, but the proportion of real ones to staged ones seems, you know, a little, a little uh, kind of fishy. So these always lead to the public then saying, or at least not objecting to, tighter measures, tighter control, the erosion of further rights and freedoms from the people. And that, if you watch what's happened over the last couple of hundred years, it's kind of been steadily moving towards a point. I don't know what that end point is, but it's pretty obvious to see that we are steadily losing more rights and freedoms as you know we progress um, through time and especially with this current coronavirus. 
In your video, you mentioned non-consent, and I, I was curious what, uh, where that is that in, in Australia, you can do that. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, okay. You can do it in the States too. The process might be slightly different, but we run on the same. I mean, Australia is owned by the United States. Australia, the Commonwealth of Australia, is a registered corporation in Washington, D.C. So we are essentially a foreign-owned corporation. So um, what applies is, is not like a straight carryover, but you can definitely put in your non-consents in America. Same as uh, in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, all Commonwealth-related countries can do that. All that are a subsidiary of the United States. So anyway, the, the premise behind that is that we come under commerce. We don't necessarily come under the law as we're told. So under commerce, there can only be creditors and debtors, and there can only be in the realm of commerce offers. So if you offered me a contract or you gave me an offer, I have the ability to either accept or decline that offer. Just by you offering me, so imagine you're a health practitioner or a, you're a plumber and you say, hey, I'd like to treat you or I'd like to you know, do your pipes in your house. You saying that doesn't make it true. I have to accept that or I can say, actually, I'm good for now. Thank you very much. And then there's no contract. There's no agreement there. So that's the principle behind law. There are only really two laws. Um, I'll speak mostly for Australia in case I get it wrong for America, but there are two laws. Uh, they essentially come from biblical principles because all law comes from the Bible. Whether you believe in the Bible and believe in religion or not is irrelevant. That is what our laws are based on. So there is love thy creator and love thy neighbor. If you, fall, if you follow those two, um, those two laws, so to speak, which are nature's laws, you are essentially living within the law. Outside of that, there are codes, acts, statutes, regulations, legislations, uh, rules, all those sorts of things. And those only apply to, those are statutory terms and those apply to statu creatures of statute. So in Australia, we essentially have, say, 10, the 10 commandments, which are really uh, condensed into two, love thy neighbor, love thy creator. And there are 7 million plus statutes. Those statutes only apply to creatures of statute, which is a person, a citizen, a ratepayer, a taxpayer, a driver, any statutory term. Um, the opposite of a person is a man or a woman. So um, I, I don't think this is the platform to go too deep into that because it might confuse people, but essentially there's two realms, the public and the private. So in the public realm, you have all these statutory, these, all these statutory terms. And in the private, you have, um, it's the realm of substance. The public is the realm of fiction. So for example, money is a fictional um, substance. Uh, your name is a legal fiction. So my name is Tom Barnett, but I only answer to that name. I am not like I'm not my name because a name is an entity. You can't, if you're a living being, you can't be an entity. An entity is a dead thing. So an entity is a corporation. Corporation meaning corp, all right, means dead man talking. So we're tricked into answering to our names, which therefore makes us... Uh, essentially liable for whatever the name is liable, but we are not the name. So a lot of, uh, this is a lot of learning for most people if they've never heard it, starting to separate yourself and understanding the different realms of the public and the private is that key to separating yourself from being under the rule of statutes and codes and legislations where they say things like, you have to have a license to travel. 
or you can't even get a license unless you receive a vaccination or unless you do this or unless you do that. You can subvertively give your power away by unwittingly, like I said earlier, either agreeing to being a name by not reserving your rights when you sign for something and, um, and a number of other ways, which I guess if you're hearing that for the first time, it might sound daunting. Like how am I ever supposed to know what, what that is? It's relatively simple. And I'm going to cover that in the book that I'm writing at the moment. Um, I can give you a website right now, actually the guy that, or the, the people that I have learned from have a website and that's called solutions empowerment. So the website is solutionsempowerment.com. There's a small fee for the site. Uh, I think it's only like $10 Australian a month. So it's really ridiculously inexpensive. It's just like a nominal fee. And once you go to the site, you can download a lot of the learning materials and the notices of non-consent, for example, that are what you can send into your relevant authoritarian bodies to notice them that you do not consent to having uh, I mean, I'm not even saying to people don't get a vaccine or anything. I'm not one of those people. If that's what people want, that's fine. But if you're one of those people that doesn't want to be forced or be told what they can and can't do with their own body and have their rights and freedoms taken away, then a notice of non-consent is a way that you can uh, retain some of that freedom and power for yourself. The reason that a non-consent form is powerful is that what is being, I guess, put into the public consciousness at the moment is only an offer so if you do not register your non-consent you assent so the assent is a legal term it just means an unconscious decision to agree so the way this works in a law court is if you're or actually take it out of law court let's say it's a phone bill let's say somebody doesn't pay their phone bill they'll get a notice right it'll say hey you haven't paid your your bill you owe us sixty dollars then you'll get a second notice and it'll say hey, you might not have received the first notice, but you're now overdue, you owe us $60. Then you'll get a third notice. Most people know that you get three notices. That's a legal proceeding. So if you're noticed three times, there is now a default judgment against whoever did not respond to a third notice. So in a courtroom, if you're going to ask a question of a prosecutor or a judge, you must ask three times. If it's not asked three times, which is a biblical principle, you are not heard and it is not written into evidence. So uh, the, the, um, the whole reason the non-consent process works is that you need to notice three times firstly. But um, if you do not register that and, the public, and in the public realm, it has been given to you three or more times as a notice, whether it's obvious or not, there's still notices. Uh, then it is essentially taken that you have assented and agreed. So there is an, almost a default judgment against you that you have agreed that you will take a forced vaccine, for example, because you never put in an objection or a non-consent. You never responded. So um, that was probably too much. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so Tom, I think it's... You know, what's what's crazy about this is I've heard stuff like this yeah, before and and I as shared to you as I shared with you when I sent you an email mm-hmm. that you know I I have gone down a bit of the rabbit hole around the Federal Reserve, the international banking system, or the Bank of International Settlements, excuse me, and mm-hmm. the whole the the whole money the money conveyor belt, and I I do have a saying you know if you want to know what's really going on follow the money, 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then you'll usually find out what's really, what's really happening. So I, yeah. I've seen this before with like people not wanting to pay their taxes. Like, you know, they're, mm-hmm. The tax code was just introduced. That's it. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and, and I, of course, for most people and including myself, it got to the point for most people are just like, ah, that sounds like rubbish. And then for somebody, you know, that might want to look at it, it can become very daunting and, and there's a lot of information to go over. Right. So then the default is, I guess I just, I'll just, you know, I'll just go along because what else am I going to do? Am I going to spend my whole life trying to reorganize this? That's right. It's, uh, that's uh, absolutely right. And a lot of people do start to learn. I mean, this is kind of termed true law. A lot of people get into it and they realize how much work it's going to take. And I don't have time to write a notice and send that off and figure out when it was 14 days since I sent the last and do that and check that it was received. It's a lot of work for most people. So, and a lot of people don't have the money to then pay somebody who can do this for them. And so they kind of just go, uh, you know, I sort of am aware that it's there, but it's, it's in the too hard basket. But I think we're getting to a point in time now where it's going to be, if you don't start to learn these principles for yourself, it's going to be the difference between being a ward of the state, which we already are. <laughs> it's just going to be more of a ward of the state um, or, or not. I mean, taxes, for example, were bought in uh, during the world wars or anything that's, that wants to be put in that would ordinarily the public could go, no thanks. It gets snuck in during wartime. It's never put in in peacetime. And in Australia, at least, the, the act that allowed income taxes was put in in order to help fund the war. And it was supposed to be taken away as soon as the war ended, but they were making so much money off it that they, they didn't. But if you look into the, the Australian tax office, their charter, it says in their own charter that the Australian ta- uh, the income tax system is a voluntary compliance system. So that is in itself is saying that it is only a voluntary compliance system. Now they make it very, very hard and they'll make it look like you can go to jail and they have jailed people for not paying taxes, but that's only because they have incriminated themselves. And the way you do that is by answering to being a name, arguing, um, assenting and all these other things. So to make that really simple, going back to what I was saying before about separating yourself from the, in the public and the private, the taxation office, and I'll just speak for Australia, I'm quite sure it's the same in America, but I don't want to use the wrong terms in case it gets people into trouble. But in Australia, uh, the taxation office, their source of authority is the um, Australian Taxation Whatever Act of 19 whatever. I don't know the actual year off the top of my head, but it's an act. So all you would have to do if you could go to, you could say, hey, look, you said that I owe you this much in tax. Hey, look, if that's legitimate, you know, I'll pay it but I just need proof of that. So then I'll say, you'll say, what is your source of authority that allows you to extract my, the, the productivity of my labor? You know, they didn't earn that money. You weren't that money. You either did it, you know, you worked for it. That is the productivity of your labor and you are supposed to be entitled to the full productivity of your labor. So all you have to do is say, what's your source of authority? And they'll say, well, our source of authority is this blah, blah, blah act of 19, whatever date. All you have to do is get them to incriminate themselves because that's how they work it against you. And you just say, well, have you got some evidence that I'm not a man? Well, you can set them up before that. You can say, hey, before we get started, um, uh, am I a man? And they'll say, what do you mean? I'll say, no, no, no. The answer is yes or no. Am I a man? And they'll go, well, yeah. You go, thank you. We have agreement. I am a man. The reason you do that, just to set the stage, is that 
the truth can only be spoken out of the mouths of two or more people. Again, that's a biblical principle, which makes it a law principle. So you as a man or a woman technically can't speak the truth in a legal sense. So you saying it is hearsay. Somebody else saying it, that's your second witness. That makes it true in a legal sense. So you have then make them your second witness. So they've got agreement with you that you're a man. Then all you have to say is, I mean, it's not this simple. Don't anyone that's listening think you can go straight out and, and take on a tax office without knowing a bit more than this. But this is just <laughs> setting the scene. You just say, you are relying on an act, aren't you? And they'll say, yeah. And you say, well, how does an act apply to a man? And they won't answer. And you'll say, that was a simple question. I'll ask a second time, how does an act apply to a man? Now, they'll probably try to weasel out or they won't answer or whatever. You ask three times. Once it's said three times and you've recorded it because you've got a voice recorder going or whatever the situation you're in, You'll have asked them three times by them not answering. You can answer for them and they have assented to you. It's, it's essentially using the exact same principle as a phone company sending you three notices for a phone bill. You're just flipping that back around the other way. And there is no reason people kind of seem to have this idea that the system only runs one way. It's actually a really fair and beneficial, beneficial system once you learn how to use it. But the problem is you're never taught how to use it. Same as our bodies. We're never taught how to use our bodies. Um, and that's why people get sick. So um, that's basically it. That's game over. If people can't prove their source of authority over you, you will then get a default judgment in your favor. That means that your little tax problem goes away. And you know that, that can happen whether it's a $10 tax bill or a $10 million tax bill. It makes no difference. It's the same, it's the same principle. So there are a number of other ways you can handle these things in the private realm as opposed to the public realm. But that's, you know, that's, a, that's probably a year's worth of study. Um, but it is good, I think, for people to at least hear something like this and go, well, wow, I'd never heard of that. Or that sounds interesting. Or hopefully something inside of them resonates where they think, yeah, like who does ha- have authority over me? I never, I never said somebody could tell me what to do. You know, and that's what hopefully leads people down that path. On the other hand, there are people who just don't care and they'll never care. So that's fine too. You know, it's not about everybody having to do, do the same thing. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here's what, here's what I'm hearing, Tom, is that, uh, you know, uh, people are going to, I mean, first of all, people are going to say whatever they're going to say about this show and, and you yeah. can have at it, man. Send me all the, send me all the dislike you want for the show. That's fine with me. What I'm, yeah. what I'm hearing is that uh, this is really about, for me, this is really about thinking. This is about saying, Hey, is what I'm being told or is what is in the mass media or is what they're trying to sell me, whoever it is, really what's going on or really the truth or, you know, if I were to show up on your doorstep and say, hey, I've got this magic powder that if you sprinkle it over, you know, your head four times, it's going to take away all your ailments. Like Mm -hmm. you have the option to either, you know, take me on my word or question (laughs) whether that's legitimate or not. Right. And something like that people would probably question. But in a lot of things, we're not questioning. We're not yeah. asking. We're not saying, hey, wait a second. What gives you the right to do this to me? That's right. And that like really boiling everything down, especially in that video, the both videos that I made, it is literally just offering that as that's the core theme. It is uh, if you're not willing to put some thought into things for yourself and use your own mind, your mind is going to be used by somebody else. So it's, it's not even, I, that's why I, I'd like to stick more to questions than trying to give people 
direct and specific answers to things because I'm trying to more than anything encourage people to think for themselves. And if people are thinking for themselves and they come to a different conclusion than what I'm offering, I'm not going to try to uh, change somebody's mind or argue with them or anything like that because when somebody is using their own mind, they're coming to their own truths and their own conclusions and they may change over time and that's fine. There's no such thing as trying to come to the answer for anything because that's really not what life's about anyway. So um, my whole premise is, as you just said very well, is just to start using your own mind, start to ask some questions. For a lot of people, that's scary. That's why I think in the Matrix movie, they made that very clear. That guy who just thought, well, I get that this is a bit of a fake world and whatever, but hey, I like the feeling of comfort and security that goes with that. It's better and easier to me to do that than to use my own mind. And that's not a wrong decision. That's being offered two different ways and at least you're being offered and then choosing one and there's no right and wrong. So I think also for people that are thinking for themselves and especially if they're just starting to, that can be something that's a bit frustrating. You're going, well, how can you not see that this is going on? It's very, it, it kind of can eat at them, but you kind of got to get to the stage, I guess, once you've gone a little bit further down that path of realizing that not it's not everybody's path to to um to start doing that in their lifetime and to have some peace within yourself to know that that's not you know for everyone that's why i don't get evangelical about telling people what they should and shouldn't do because for the first 20 years of my life i consumed plastic like it didn't matter you know i thought it goes in the bin and it goes somewhere and it's fine it doesn't like you know what's what's the harm in that i'm doing the right thing but you know then you start to learn about everything and you start to go wow geez i was really doing a lot of damage and then you realize that for, the, for that whole 20 years, there were always environmentalists saying these things about plastic. And I just either chose not to listen or didn't take any notice or whatever. So at, as I go through my life, I don't feel that it's my duty at all to tell people and stop them doing what they're doing and say, hey, don't do that. It's bad. You're wrecking the planet. You're wrecking yourself. You're going to erode our rights. You know, that's not my place because at the time, if and when the time's right for them, it'll come from within them. It's not something that somebody needs to sh grab them by the shoulders and shake them and, you know, get them to, to snap out of it sort of thing. So um, I, I guess I only said that because I guess the nature of your podcast is probably a lot of listeners who are, you know, at least on that journey of thinking for themselves and maybe feeling some frustration that the majority of the world aren't thinking for themselves, but it's always been that way. And it was that way then when they weren't really thinking for themselves as well. So it's kind of, you kind of understand that balance and that, whatever's happening for you at the, this point in time is where you're meant to be. And however it is for others, is kind of where they're meant to be as well. And we have to not stop doing what we're doing to try to um, affect the change in the world that we would like to see. But at the same time, realizing that it's not going to work on everybody or for everybody and that we can only really ever offer as opposed to trying to force or tell people to do something. Uh, I guess that's the best way I can sum up, you know, that, that feeling that you get when you start to get frustrated where others are kind of making the problem worse, but can't see that they're making it worse and are adamant in their own mind that they're right <laughs> is the most frustrating bit. Yeah. Well said. Cause yeah, I mean, where I might stand on something that uh, there's going to be somebody that's, you know, vehemently opposed to where I might stand on something and, mm -hmm. you know, neither is right or wrong. It's what works, I guess, in, in the, it, it, yeah, I know what you're saying with that. So I thank you for, for offering that. I'm curious, uh, you know, something, what you, the way you kind of alluded to all of that there was, was the idea of uh, living life from the inside out. Am I accurate yeah. on that? Yeah, absolutely. 
So how have, how have you, uh, I guess, nurtured that within yourself? What is, what are the things uh, that kind of led to this thinking like uh, it needs to come from within? Okay. Well, I think for everybody I've ever met who has come to the ability to really kind of see things more for how they are, they've always gone through something. There's had to be something that has given them the term awakening is a little overused and overcooked and everything, but there has been something that has snapped them out of perhaps the way that they were living. It might've been, they lost, it might've, you know, they lost somebody close to them. They had a big accident or a near death experience. They got very ill or whatever it was, they lost a lot of money. It's something that really had to snap them out of a particular way of thinking and it allowed them to see something else than what they were able to see before. So for me, it was, I guess, losing my health. I was very hell-bent on becoming the best athlete and trying to make a lot of money and all that sort of stuff. And that was one of the things that led me to uh, years and years of of illness. Um, I think maybe part of it is you were destined in some way. I think we all have... You know, I've always spoken to a lot of parents about their kids. I always say, you know, like that personality that they have, you know, was that, do you think that they learned that? Or was that they say every single one of them says not nah. from the day they were born, this certain part of them, it was just a part of them. It was just there, you know? So I think some people have this kind of um, part of them will at some stage, you know, like that cellular intelligence at some stage, something will happen that, that allows a person to start maybe thinking a little differently. So for me, I guess, as far as advice, I think the closer that you can be in harmony with your surroundings and with yourself and the way you can get in harmony with yourself, because the inner is a, or the outer is a reflection of the inner and vice versa. I think the more connected you are to nature, the better. So that means having just the basics, right? So your food and your water is from a clean source. It's as much as possible. You're eating organic and natural foods. As much as possible, you are, you know, uh, your sleep-wake cycles are in tune with the circadian rhythms of the, like the natural of the sun going down, the sun coming up. As much as possible, you're in tune with that. You're getting plenty of time exposed to natural sunlight. There is so much information that is encoded in light that if you're blocking yourself from that and you're always wearing sunglasses or you're never really going outside and, you know, exposing yourself to natural light, you're missing out on a lot of the natural intelligence that connects you to it. Um, same as just general fresh air and grounding yourself. So having your skin touching the earth or the water or the sand or the trees and, you know, all these things add up. They're all only small things, but they all make a big difference. And more than anything, it's just, it's just choosing to. So, uh, you know, that old analogy of you just suddenly become aware of a certain model of car and then you start seeing that car everywhere. It's just because you have chosen, you have now have a conscious awareness of that. You were always seeing them, but now you're consciously aware of it. So it's, if you become consciously aware of starting to ask more questions and wanting to be a bit more inquisitive, I mean, I was just always naturally inquisitive. It's what led me to wanting to study the body and the mind and everything. I just always had a natural curiosity and it, and an inquisitive mind for how things worked. So, you know, that's just my nature. So that doesn't apply to everybody. Um, but, you know, you combine that with the willingness to ask and that's when you'll, you know, that old expression, if you ask, you'll receive. So I think that kind of is as simply as I can put that really. Tom, thank you. Thank you You're for welcome. your time. I think it's a great place 
to uh, leave off this edition of the Bloom Living podcast, speaking to Tom Barnett. Where, what part of Australia are you in? I'm near. I'm basically in Byron Bay in the, uh, New South Wales. New South Wales, and I'm I'm in uh, I'm on an island off the coast of uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. So I'm in Canada. So I think a lot yeah. of a lot of the laws that you were talking about are are probably similar to a lot of our laws up here. Yeah, there's um there's def- okay there's uh I'll just quickly give you a reference so I can send them to you later. I just remembered off the top of the head my head while I was talking. There's a there's a lady who had she's called Judge Anna Von something. It's Anna Von Wright or something. I'll send that to you. I'll find it and send it to you. Uh, what she says applies a lot more to Americans and Canadians. Um, it, there's a lot of crossover with Australian um, with things in Australia, but you know it's definitely much more relevant to you guys. But you're right. You know, Canada has a lot of similarities to Australia, and um, it's as heavily regulated as Australia. It's one of the most regulated. Uh, Western countries. So yeah, a lot there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hey, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. And uh, for those of you out there, this is Tom Barnett. You can find uh, how to find his book. Uh, And unfortunately, I got your book just the other day, but I didn't have a chance to go through it before our call. So I wasn't really able to to speak to it. The Common Sense Guide to Food. And it sounds like you're on your way to writing another book. So that's, uh, that's great. I'll, I'd be happy if you let me know when that, uh, when that comes out. Yeah, I will. Thanks. And I'd love to keep in contact down the, down the road. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's good. But it's always good to talk to people who are you know, asking questions. And like I said, whether we all come to different conclusions or not is not, you know, we don't all have to think exactly the same. It's just that we all are thinking is the point. And I really love talking to people like yourself that are people that are thinking. That's great. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. A huge thanks to today's guest and to you for being a part of the show. Now, if any of the ideas or stories did strike a chord with you, then I'd be honored if you would just take a quick moment to do a couple of things. One, if something in particular did resonate with you and you feel like it would make a difference in the lives of others, then please go ahead and share this through your social media channels. We'd like that very much. And two, if you are feeling compelled to join in on our ever-growing Bloom Living conversation, then hit the subscribe button and we'll show up every time there is a new episode available. You know, it's not only my goal, but it's the goal of our entire Bloom Living team and community to be the very change that we want to see in the world. All ideas begin with a conversation, first with yourself and then with others. So we welcome your voice. And we ask that you send along any comments, thoughts, or questions. This is Thomas DeShooter, Bloom Living. And I don't want to turn your stomach fast. I don't want to get on my.